I've dealt with this subject a lot through the years because I'm, I'm always, always, always wanting folks to be 100% for God. Only in my mother's Bible, when she died, I took her Bible and went through her Bible, and she had in the front of her Bible the night she got saved. Um, Harold Hofflinger came over and led both of them to Christ, and she had some real personal notes in there, and I was interested in. She read in 1950, I think it got saved in October of 1953, and she had in there, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, they were only 33 years old. But at 86 years old, she passed. And I saw that. And it's, it's so true. You want to die. You want to you go to the other side, having been sold out for God. You, you don't want to go to the other side, having been half-hearted, come see, come saw. That's a little French. Surprise myself. You don't want to be half-hearted. The parable of the sower in Matthew 13 primarily has always interested me. Now, we're not really going to go there tonight, but I'll use this by, by way of illustration. The parable of the sower, sower the, the seed is the word of God. Jesus interpreted that passage so we know. Unless Jesus interprets it, we don't know. But when Jesus interprets it, the Bible interprets itself most of the time. And it said the seed was the word of God. The sowers, you know, is, is God, you and I, sowers, and the seed's the word of God. And the ground were the hearts of the people. And you had four kinds of ground. You remember the story? I'm not going over it in real detail, but four kinds of ground. There was only one kind of ground that was approved of obviously approved of, and that is called the good ground. Mark chapter 4, verse 20's version of it says, And these are they which are sown in good, on good ground, such as hear the word of God, so that you've heard the word of God. They receive it. That's important. You've heard it and received it. You, people hear the Bible and assent to it. They'll say, the Bible's true. But then they don't live it. The third thing you see there, and it says, and bring forth fruit. That means they took what they heard and what they received and they put it to act, action. It internalized it and it changed their life and they put it to practice. Are you with me on that? You say, doesn't everybody do that? Now, there's a whole, whole bunch of folks that have heard the Word of God and even in, in, in a degree received the Word of God. They've been saved, but they didn't internalize it and put it to practice in their life. And consequently, because the, 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 the fruit of those three things, it says, is some, some reaped 30-fold, 60-fold, and some 100-fold. So there is... By that, we know that there's a varying degree of success in the Christian life. Not every Christian is the same success as the other Christian. Let me try to, let me try to say, all of those people on the good ground had the same Bible. They had the same Holy Spirit. They were forgiven the same. They had the same opportunity to take the Word of God and to 
internalize it and to practice it and obey it, right? But they didn't. Some, some reap 30, some 60, some 100. There was a diversity in the fruit of the Word of God to them. They were not all sold out. I, I, I think of Paul the Apostle oftentimes, and I think it's, he's been called the greatest Christian in the New Testament. It's very likely he is. He would never say that. He'd call himself the worst of sinners. He'd call himself less than the least of the Gentiles. He'd call himself the chief of sinners. He never referred to himself arrogantly or with self-confidence. You will not see that in Apostle Paul. In fact, I'll show you here in a minute. He didn't even assume arrogantly that he'd be part of the resurrection. And so we, we see him verbalize some of his, his desire, this, this sold-out desire for God in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 24. Um, and I believe that's right. It's going to be right up there, and I'm going to read it. As, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I think sometimes people settle, well, I'll be ashamed for a few things. Paul said, I'm not going to be ashamed for anything. I don't want to be ashamed for anything. I don't want to be ashamed for anything. I want to be in obedience to the place that I'm not going to be ashamed. And that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ should be magnified in my body, where it be by, death, by life or by death. For me, and this is a conclusive application statement, for me to live as Christ to die as gain. What is that? They call that a win-win situation. If I die in Christ, I win. If I live in Christ, the rapture comes, I win. It's a win-win situation. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet I, what I shall choose, I want not. I, I don't know what to choose, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a, de a desire to depart. And when you read about heaven, Especially if you're in pain. I threw out my back, did something super stupid. I could start the super stupid club. And I just love the way my wife encourages me. You knew better than that. Why did you do that? You knew better than that. And all I can tell you is I'm a 50 year old and a 70 year old body struggling with that whole deal. He says, I'm going to straight between two, between two things, desire to depart, be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Why am I here tonight? Because basically God said, it's more needful that I stay here for you than when he takes me home. And when he takes me home and you hear that I've gone, then he's just said, it's more needful that you come home than it is to be with them. Glory to God. It's a win-win. It's win-win. And by the way, death is a door. It's just a door. It's a door. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe us all this. I believe it. Death in the world's terminology does not happen to the born-again believer. The body quits and we leave our body and go to be in heaven in a better life, in a sweet way, that you'd never want to come back. We have a strong desire not to be ashamed. He said, basically, this passage, analyze it. He doesn't want to be ashamed. He wants to be a strong witness. 
He wants to make Christ known by his life. He wants to be with Christ, but to help those here, he wants to help those here either way. I want to help God's people either way, whether it be by life or by death. I want to, I want to win-win for him, and you and I can be the same kind of person. We can be the same kind of person. None of this that Paul talked about is beyond you. The Holy Spirit and God wants it for you. And if God before you, who can be against you? Well, the only person who can really be against you is you, amen? I mean, my worst enemy is me. If my wife left me today, I really couldn't blame her. I mean, really? Sometimes people will say, well, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. I think to myself, lion's bad. Well, anyway, so here we go. Another passage, he, same book, by the way. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. This passage is so powerful, it's almost overwhelming. Yet doubtless I count all things but loss. That is, all things of this world, that the world would count valuable for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, all the things of this world, the, the fame he had potential as a Pharisee, the wealth he had potential as a Pharisee. He said, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He says, I don't even consider it to be a fair trade that I gave up the potential that I thought I had in this world and gave my potential to God for the next world, and I don't even consider it a fair trade I'm the one that gained. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. It's been said if you found a Baptist over on the other side that kept all the law and went to heaven because he was good, you'd have nothing but a loudmouth, braggadocious Baptist on the other side telling how wonderful he is that he made it to heaven. God's not going to let any of us go to heaven on any of those kind of good works. It's going to be on the righteousness of Christ. Look at that. Through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. You heard this quoted many times. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Now, I don't know. Take some serious maturity to say you'd like to be crucified. Real serious maturity. Paul, the apostle, was all in. He did not want to let this world rob him of what eternity had waiting for him. And the reward of his faithfulness he was desirous of. What helped him to be sold out as a Christian to be 100%. Well, I've tried to do a little analysis of this, and I got a five-point. Oh, by the way, one more verse I forgot. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection. This is what I wanted to bring up. Does that look arrogant to you? If by any means? That's a statement of humility. That's a statement of humility. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Oh, I heard some people say, I die on the belly of a whore, I'll go to heaven. I heard preachers say that. 
I die on the belly of a whore, I'd go to heaven. I wanted to I wanted to stand up in the crowd and say, You may be surprised. So analysis of what it means to be sold out Christian. First thing I see is we have the sold out Christian 100% in is a person has a clear view of eternity. This is something God's got to help you with, but you can get it. Everybody, everybody has the ability to have these things, these five things. Have a clear view of eternity, a clear grasp of the reality of the eternity to come. Not a shadow of doubt. That after this life is an everlasting kingdom. Now, how are you going to get that? Well, you're not going to get it not reading the Bible. Christ is the living word. The Bible is the written word. You need the living word and the written word. And that is who God is. It's, in fact, it says in the New Testament, we have the mind of Christ. I've lived with my woman now for 51 years. I'm not saying I understand women, don't get me wrong. But I understand her, kind of her processes by being around her that much. And if you get in the book, and you stay in the book, and through the sections of the book you don't have a clue why you're reading it. People come to me and say, why do we have to read Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations? Well, I was depressed before I got in there, now I'm really depressed. Well, read. Read it and trust God there's something in there for you. Why do I need to read the, the genealogies? There's three of them in the book of Genesis. Why in the world? Well, read them the best you can if you can pronounce the names. And uh, let Alexander Scorby read it for you. It would be a better suggestion. At least he pronounces the names correctly. And just read it in faith. You, don't, you do, don't you walk in faith? You read, you read the Bible in faith, believing that it's God's book and he's got something in there. For some reason, he put it in there. And somehow or another, it fits in the big plan and in the secret of it all. And I need it. So I'm going to put it, I'm going to read, I'm just going to put my eyes over it. I'm going to put my mind, and put it in my mind, let it flow through. Remember when you read, it goes in your eyes, in your mind, flows through, and much of that don't stick. I get it. It's, it's called the washing of the word. When you wash, most of the water don't stay on you, right? It goes, hits you, washes you, it goes off. That's kind of like the Bible. Hits you, gone, you, know, but it goes off. You don't remember it, but it helped you. It helped you. You couldn't tell me what you ate this the last seven days, I'll bet. But from looking at you, it's helped you pretty good. It's an existence. you got to have a grip on the, the eternal, invisible existence as a real existence. Even more real than this, what we live in now, that we can touch and feel. Because what I touch and feel is not permanent. This pulpit is maybe 42 years old. It's possible it's 42 years old. The pulpit up in the, in the church I know is 42 years old. There'll be a day that's thrown into the fire. It won't be worthy to be a pulpit anymore. For as sure as we bought it, as sure as we had it made, it's someday going to use this existence up. That's not so for eternal things. You tell me which is the one that is most real. Eternity is unrestricted by sin. Eternity is an opportunity. 
that this life could never afford. Eternity offers rewards past your imagination. Most of us have a pretty good imagination. I mean, really, we do. We have a pretty good imagination. But I don't even begin to imagine. When I read through some of Ezekiel, and I think to myself, man, that, that those creatures and four-winged creatures, six-winged creatures, and the cherubim and seraphim, and it tries to describe them and the you know, that their, their, their vocabulary that they have, and they do their best to describe them about the wheels and, and all this stuff. And I say, man, that is past my imagination. But if I took a bugs that, that you were familiar with and magnified them and put them up on the screen, you'd say, wow, that, don't they look strange? I mean, like those four-winged uh They eat mosquitoes. Dragonflies. Dragon, thank you. Have you ever looked close at dragonflies? They got all them eyes. You know, the Bible talks about having many eyes. And those good, I think that wouldn't be any different if you tried to describe a dragonfly. How would you describe a fly? Well, we're going to see things in eternity past our imagination. So we got to we just kind of go with God on that. Uh, but we got to view eternity as 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 real. You got to continually tell yourself that eternity is what's real. What I mean by that is what's permanent. I have a home, but I don't own it. It's just borrowed for me for a little while. I told my brother I was over at my brother's house the other day. He's eighty, or he's eighty years. He's eighty, isn't he? Thank you. I'm 70, he's 80. I'm the youngest, he's the oldest. I said, Jimmy, pretty soon, other people are going to be living in these two homes. And he started crying. He started crying. I said, you know, it's true. Pretty soon, somebody else is going to be looking at this stuff. All this stuff we planted, they're going to say, I don't like that. Especially if Maxwell buys it. Maxwell, I'll give him a chainsaw, I'll clear the whole thing, man. There won't be nothing living. But have a clear view of eternity. Number two, a clear grasp of the temporal state of his, and his achievements. I keep telling myself over and over and over again, I'm doing this for somebody else. I'm planting this for somebody else. I'm buying this for somebody else. Everything I'm doing is for somebody else because I know I can't keep it. Why is it we have this natural, now teenagers think they're going to live forever. They, they are really, they struggle with this stuff. Because they got this thing, they're never going to be sick. They're never going to die. That's why they do downhill bicycling. You ever seen some of that downhill bicycling? That's insane, man. That's just crazy. They just have a death wish. Like I think they made a movie about that. But anyways, uh, the death wish. I mean, they just want to die. They just want to take motorcycles and just use it, spin around, flim around. They're just wanting to die. They, life's boring and they want to die. Because they don't have a clue. They don't think they're going to die. They think it was another guy going to die, the next guy going to die. I've been to automobile accidents, real bad ones, fatal crashes, where people, the one that while they were alive, saying, I can't believe this is happening to me. Is this really happening? Is this really happening? I'll be the first people in the accident. Is this happening? Is this happening? And then they grow quiet. 
happens happen. So it's clear grasp of temporal state. He counted, Paul counted all things but loss. These temporal things, he discounted them at loss for Christ. Or look, use the temporal things for the things of God as much as you possibly can, right? But don't set your heart on them. I just read it. I just read in sound maybe last night, night before. Set your set not your heart upon the riches, for they'll flee, fly away. That's a, that's describing a Black Tuesday. The stock market crash, 1929. Um, understood. You might you might uh, you might have early gain, but it's just a temporary loan. Uh, nothing nothing that has value. You can you really can in this world that you can keep. It's a passing dream, a vague memory, a warm feeling. That's all really this life affords us. Look at the book of Job, chapter 20. And I did not put this in here. I I did not put this in here. Job, chapter 20, verses 5 through 9. Look it up later. It says here in Job 20, this is Job, I believe, talking, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. They do get their moment. They do get their moment. God allows the unbeliever a moment of sunshine, fame, fortune, thrills, and then it's over forever. And then Job said that. Though his excellency mount up to the heavens and his head reach into the clouds, yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. That which have seen him shall say, where is he? He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision in the night. The eye also which saw him shall see him no more. Neither shall his place any more behold him. I went up to the mansion uh, in Sarasota, the Ringling Mansion, is it? John Ringling, is that right? They remodeled that, by the way, at the cost of about $15 million. I don't think he spent that much. In 1924, I think, when he built it, he was making clear a million a month. Now, back in 24, a million a month is a lot of money. So he took that. He went over to Europe, and there were mansions in Europe that were deteriorating. They were being deteriorated and torn down. He felt grieved about that because they were really plush mansions, castles, mansions. And he would buy. He'd walk in a room and say, I want everything in the room, the ceiling, the floor, the tiles, the wall. I'll take it all. They would disassemble it all, number it all, put it on ships, ship it over here, put it on train, bring it over to Sarasota. And they built that house. When you walk in that house, you're seeing stuff that's old, way older than him, that he saved for being torn down in Europe. He built that thing and died very shortly after that. And I looked, I went up in that, I've been there two, three times, but in fact, I've been there every 10 years for the last 30 years. I looked at his little pair, by the way, the guy has little small feet. About, not, about size nine, maybe. And I saw his shoes there. And I thought, hey, one, that was one day he put them shoes on, and somebody else took them off. That's what your mortician always tells you. You put your shoes on, I'll take them off. And when a mortician shakes your hand, you always worry about whether he's sizing you up or not. They deal with it every day. 
But boy, I'll tell you what, that's some sober words there in Job. The third thing I see here is a clear view of the value of being in Christ. Man, new life in Christ, abundant and free. To be found in Him, to live in Christ, to be with Christ, to have Christ magnified in my body, to know Him, to have fellowship of His sufferings, to have power of the resurrection, to make conformable to His death. Everything is about Jesus. Nothing else matters, really. Jesus is the lover of my soul, my Savior, my Lord, my Redeemer, my God, my all in all. People that are 100% in, that's what it is for them. Fourth thing I find is all sufferings here are not worthy to be compared with the coming glory. they got a grip on that. This is how they keep going, through trouble. This is how they make it through unimaginable troubles and loss. This is how they, make, uh, this is how they uh, can sing in the midst of trouble. And, and depression, they can sing. I used to get really depressed when I was 18, 18, almost 19. No, I was 19 years old. I was working on a railroad. I told you this a while back. And I had a Volkswagen Beetle. It was real cold. I worked in the winter on a railroad, 17 below zero some nights. And the Beetle never get warm. Them things never had. They never got warm. I had about a 30-minute drive to the, to the railroad yard. If you've ever been around a railroad yard, it's filthy dirty with diesel fuel, and 100 years of diesel fuel. I'd have to get it on and off them cars, and it was ice cold. And the, the, the iron, when iron gets that cold, all that heavy iron, it, it, it cries. I can't even reproduce that noise. All night long, that, those, those cars cried. And I said, the, the creation groans and travaileth in pain even unto now. I'd be, I'd be so depressed. <laughs> the price of being married young. And I said to the Lord, I'd, I'd sing, how great thou art. He's given me songs in the night to help me over it. And those songs made me, they brought me through it. They brought me through it. And they'll bring you through it. You learn, believe the Bible, you learn it. And then uh, the fifth and last thing, and I'll stop at this, a vital 100% confidence in the Bible. That's what I see people that are 100% and all in. They, they have a conf- confidence in the Bible, not, not, not 60%, not 80%. They have 100% confidence in the word, word of God. What makes Gospel Baptist Church different from many so many churches is we believe the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. So help us God. We don't believe 80% of the Bible. We don't believe it's corrupted with 20%. We don't believe it's corrupted with 40%. I've talked to people who believe the Bible's corrupted 80% and the 20% is the Bible. 20% is from God and 80% is from man, corruption, or whatever. We don't believe that. We believe that God, I just read it in Psalms. I just read it in Psalms the night before last night. Last night, I don't know when it was. It all mixes together now. But I read that uh, he, he preserves his word. It's not my responsibility, ultimately, to preserve the Bible. If he wrote it and he inspired it, he also is able and does preserve it. How can you have something passed down all these generations with any kind of accuracy? All I can tell you is it's got to be supernatural. Human beings cannot do it. But God can. Ooh, that reminds me of a sermon. The people, that's the people that are sold out, believe the Bible 100%. They learn it. They study it. They live it. They teach it. They're obsessed with it. They consumed 
by it. I preached a sermon called Our God is a Consuming Fire. What I meant by that, I believe that's what the Bible means too, is that he'll, if you give him your life, he'll consume you as a piece of coal. My life is like one piece of coal, and I give it to God and say, this is all my potential. And he says, if you give me your potential, I'll use it to cons- I'll consume you for eternal things, to give heat to many, to encourage many, to see many people saved, hundredfold, sixtyfold. This is a secret, I believe, that if there is a secret. And you say, well, some people just aren't very dedicated. That's because they do not have 100% belief in the Word of God. They have an 80% or 75%. You say, can people believe? Yes, all the time. I mean, people all the time have a partial belief in the Word of God, partial. They wouldn't condemn the whole Bible. They would say some of it is real. Some of it's right. Some of it's true. And you can tell their life. You can tell their life's on again, off again. In and out. Up and down. Inconsistent. No, no, like you can set your clock on it. Pastor McKinney before me. God bless his soul. By the way, he's doing well tonight. Pastor he and, and him and Naomi. And, uh, Pastor McKinney, he would say he had five children. Actually, he and his wife had five children. He had five children. He used to say, we had five children. I know what it is to get up and have to feed five children and dress five children and get five children ready for church, but there wasn't a time that the, that the, the hinges didn't squeak on the church that we weren't at church. Don't you give me an excuse for not coming to church. Be honest with you, nobody had any excuse because nobody I knew had five kids. I've known people with ten kids say the same thing. It's not the stuff stopping you, it's you stopping you. Oh man, you don't know how hard it is for me to get up. Oh, shut up. You're lazier than a dog. Just cough it up. Honesty is the beginning of victory. Go to God and say, I'm lazy, I'm no good, low life, bottom feeding, and I need you to help me. And that's where God can help people. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll lift you up. And he will help you. I don't want to go through this thing and miss out the good things God has for us. Don't you? If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.